Let's go to the Lord. Oh God, we ask that you would uh, open the eyes of our heart, that we might know the hope to which you've called us, the riches we have in your glorious saints, in the immeasurable power available to each one of us who believes. We trust because you've given your very own Son for us. All promises in him are yes. So we thank you in advance. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I hope you all had a profitable Thanksgiving. Um, and, and by that, um, I've been thinking about the great potential there is in Thanksgiving. Because the focus of it is gratitude. And gratitude is so powerful. Gratitude shows us no matter what our economic status is, no matter uh, how we feel like we are positioned to the world, gratitude shows us how wealthy we are. Gratitude shows us as well that we're not just uh, victims to our circumstance, that we're empowered. And gratitude shows us that we actually have power to build other people up, to strengthen other people. So much is there. And whether you believe a lot here, you believe a little, or you don't believe at all, God has been good to you. He has given you things. So I wonder what topped your list this past Thanksgiving. Maybe it was relationships that he's given you, new friendships, or getting together with your family. Maybe it's a new dating relationship, a new marriage, a new child. Provision, opportunity, the city, right? The place we've been given. I wonder what topped your list. And I wonder if you've ever wondered what God might be thankful for. What God might be thankful for. Because we get a glimpse of it in the prayer of Jesus, the one to whom the Father, God, has handed over all things. Jesus, if you ever wondered, did Jesus really think he was the unique son of God? Well, it's moments like this where it's clear, right? He understood that he was the unique son of God. And he gives gratitude. He gives thanks in this prayer. And he does it through a declaration and an invitation. And those are the two things I want to turn our attention to as we uh, you know, wrap up this Thanksgiving holiday and look forward to Advent, as Chrissy reminded us during worship. So first of all, we'll look at this declaration of thanks. And it's important that we notice it's not just an exclamation, like a sudden burst of joy and thanks. It is a declaration. Jesus is stating, he's telling Something. It says Jesus declared. It's a declaration of truth. He tells us it's something that God the Father 
has revealed. It's a revelation. And the revelation pertains to, verse 26, God's gracious will. In short, Jesus is thankful for the way God shows his grace to us. He's thankful for the wonderful working of God's grace. How? How does that grace come? Well, it says to little children, and there he's not talking about age, but he's talking about attitude. Talking about attitude. You know, little children, let's think, let's put ourselves in the mind of children. And those of you that have children close to you right now don't have to imagine too far, right? You see it all the time, but, you know, children don't hide their need or desires, right? They just let it be known. Many times over, they'll let you know. Um, children don't cover up their sins. They'll have a tantrum right there in the grocery store floor. I had a friend of mine, I may have mentioned that uh, when we were in seminary, and I could tell he was a little rattled by this, but he had a two-year-old, and he said they were at the store, and they were, you know, he was starting to have a tantrum, and my friend said, well, you know, Luke, you know, what would Jesus want you to do? And he just started shouting, I hate Jesus! <laughs> you know, they're going to say whatever they feel right there. You never hear a child say, yeah, I knew that, Right? trying to look good. You never hear a child go, yeah, right. Skepticism, cynicism. Jesus is thankful for those that come to him like that. Weak with their desires, not hiding their sin. Hopeful, humble, honest. He's thankful for those, even bringing the ugly sides. And how difficult is this to relearn for adults? Because we spend our lives, maturity is oftentimes equated with being pretentious and self-sufficient, right? It's a hard thing to unlearn and relearn self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. Many times is what marks what we would call an adult And it really is what is on Jesus' mind as he gives this, the, the backdrop for why he brings forth this prayer of thanks is what happens right prior to this, where he's thinking and then beginning to, to, to vocalize judgment and warning over the cities that he went to and poured out the grace of supernatural healing in the grace of compassion and listening to people, hearing their stories, healing them from these lifelong ailments, feeding them, preaching the gospel to them, and yet rejecting him. He's saying, woe to Chorazin, woe to Bethsaida, woe to Tyre. It'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you on that last day. And when Jesus brings the warning of judgment, 
it's always with the hope that it might lead to the humility to salvation. But here he pronounces these things. People take the healing, but not the healer. People take the, the impressive things, right? The, the wows, but not the relationship. And so in response, we're told in this passage that this light of God's grace is hidden. It's dimmed for them. And this is what we might call a judicial dimming, just like they're a judicial hardening to those that persist in self-blindness, that those that persist in that, they see less and less. That's a sobering warning. Those that regard themselves, as, as Jesus would say, wise and understanding, superior. And maybe that doesn't seem fair, fair to us when we hear some of this language but, you know, just because someone is searching for the truth or just because someone is devoted to some sort of religious thing, it doesn't mean they're humble and teachable. A lifelong search can just be autonomy, so I don't have to commit to anything. Religion can turn into just a, a way to be superior to people, a way to have control over my life. God knows the heart. He knows the heart. But Jesus talks about it. He's giving thanks for a different way, a different gospel. The revelation of God does not come to the spiritually deep. It comes to the spiritually weak. That's who it comes to. And it's for this that Jesus gives thanks and praise. And that ought to really draw us because I think we tend to think that God is annoyed by my need, annoyed by my regular sins. He's tired of having to show grace. He's scorecarding every time that I come to him. At best, he tolerates me. But here you hear the Son of God giving thanks for weak people. Thanks for sinful people that come forward. Thanks for people that don't know what to do with themselves. Thanks for people that are humbly honest in a mess. These are the people that he's giving thanks for. He's not just tolerating. He's overjoyed when you and I come that way. As we come like children. No surprise. As Dr. Red reminded us last week, the Beatitudes, right? Who are the blessed? The ones that are poor. The ones that mourn. That carry the sorrow of the world and the sorrow of the sin. The ones that are hungry and thirsty for more. Maybe you feel like you're in this way where you're like, you know, I, I'm not where... I know I'm not where I want to be or should be. But you're hungry and thirsty. What a gift that is. So you might imagine the Thanksgiving table in heaven. And the father looks at the son and says, what are you thankful for, son? And he goes, you know, I'm thankful for John. 
because he doesn't hide his sin as much from us anymore. I'm thankful for Mary because it doesn't take her as long to bring her weakness to us. These are the things that are thankful around the table of God. And what's amazing is Jesus' joy when he knows that that thanks will cost him his very life. It's by his death and resurrection that the weak come forward and come and move toward him. The book of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross so that you and I could come. We're told in the book of Ephesians that we approach with boldness and access and confidence a throne of grace, unfettered access. God has no hesitation about you. Not any hesitation. Any second thought about affection. Any second thought about devotion. You are prized in the same regard as the Son of God. The perfect Son of God. That's what the gospel teaches. Your shame and sins have been eradicated by him on the cross. And your righteousness has, his righteousness has been given to you. God is thankful for his children. And we're doubly persuaded through the invitation. We'll move there. The second point. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mike was referring to this earlier, and I, something I feel like I hear more, I've heard more in the last five or ten years than I have earlier on in my ministry is how tired people are. And I, I don't know if it's um, the pace of modern life. I don't know if it's absorbing all the anxiety of the world. I don't know if it's post-pandemic. But if you, you know, went out in the, in the streets of our city and said, who wants some rest? I think you'd get a lot of people. Who wants some rest? And there's different ways we try to deal with that, right? Maybe it's a new job, new relationship, a new move, a new church. Maybe it's money. If I could get to the status, then I could really rest. Or maybe we just numb ourselves, right? By endless shows that we watch or pleasure or drink or whatever it would be. Now, let me say this. God is pro-rest. God is the one that acknowledges our frames are dust. Only the God of the Bible institutes a Sabbath. He is the God of rest. Jesus is the Lord of rest. So it might be curious to us why then his answer to our tiredness is a yoke. A yoke's an instrument of work, right? A yoke is what they would put on two animals to work together. You've got like, I'm not seeing this, Jesus. You know, come unto me, it sounds like a trick. Come unto me, heavy laden, and I will put a harness on you. Well, even though we would think what tired people need is a vacation, what tired people need is like a really long nap, a good mattress, 
This is what tired people need. But here's the thing. We need two things, actually. We need rest, but we also need a new way to carry life. A new way to carry life. Because until the new heavens and the new earth and the final shalom of rest, burdens will continue to come. Struggles will continue to come. So it's not enough just to have a vacation. Or even right now, heaven, because it's not here yet. We need a new way to carry things. And that's what he's offering here. And notice he says, come and learn a new way to carry things. We have to learn it. Let me mention three parts of this. We'll close out. How do we carry things in a new way? Well, one is, and this is, sounds a little uh, contrary, but we have to learn to carry things with weakness. You know, um, <laughs> He invites the weary and the heavy laden. We have to see that. He invites the weary and the heavy laden. So he knows they're weary. Sometimes when I'm going to exercise, maybe you've had this experience, or you're looking at your schedule for the week, and maybe there are times you feel this strength, like, man, I'm going to attack this. There's a spring in your step. But then there are times where you're just like, I have nothing to do. I, I, I have nothing in me to do this. I often feel that way when I'm walking very early in the morning to exercise. I'm like, I want to get coffee and turn around and pretend that I did it. Right? And it's in that moment, in that moment of weakness, carrying things in weakness, God, that you actually find God enter into things. God enters in through the door of weakness, my friends. That's how he comes in. In many ways, the apostle Paul, who is, I would say, the apostle of weakness, his entire life was teaching him this lesson. When the revelation comes and he says, I'll show you how much you suffer, it could also be I'd show you how much you'll have to live by weakness. Paul had all of his life in self-sufficiency and strength according to the flesh and God had to teach him a new way. So at the end of his life, he's like, God gives me a thorn. I pray that he'll take it away. And he'll goes, no, what I'm trying to teach you is my strength will be perfected in weakness. It's in our weakness we begin to learn to carry things. And God is not like a coach that shames us when we come to him in our weakness. He doesn't look at us and go, you should be able to handle more by now. He receives us. And part of that learning to carry things in weakness is learning to carry them in community. Because the Lord, God works in the corporate. I'm not saying he doesn't work in the individual, but he's died for a body. It's Jesus' body. He makes himself known through a body. I find and have found over many decades of ministry, that people that can't bear and overcome their temptations, 
are often the ones unwilling to share them in community. They carry them in quiet, and then they just get crushed under them. We share and we carry together. There's a humility in that. We'll get to that in a second. Learning weakness. The second thing is we got to learn to cast cares. Uh, why did Jesus go off by himself and pray so much? Because he was sharing his concerns and his burdens with the Father. That's what he was doing. Yes, he was at fellowship and wisdom, but he was also bringing his heart. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's bearing his burden. He's casting his cares. And then we have Peter later tell us, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See that a few things. First of all, that humility we talked about. I was, I was reading this stat, no surprise that like, you know, men get injured like at twice the rate that women do. And no surprise, right? You just watch a guy going, I'll carry this, you know, and you're sort of like, here comes an accident, right? This, this pride that I can carry this, God. So humility under his mighty hand, all our anxieties, every one of our anxieties, even the ones that seem so trivial, why? Because he cares for you. Jesus mentions that he is gentle and humble. And this is the way I kind of imagine it as I work through it and try to learn it. Okay. You might cash, cast your burdens, might think of it, but what you really need is the magnet of Jesus' humility and gentleness. We must be convinced of this compassion. Because, you know, it's different than just casting things and there's different to have God before you going, throw it to me! Throw it to me! That's what he is. You're not just casting it into the Black Sea. You're casting it to an open-armed Savior. Jesus went off to pray to bear his burdens, but what did he learn in his prayer? We find this actually from another Thanksgiving prayer of Jesus's. Remember, he raises Lazarus from the dead, and then he says, thank you, Father. Thank you that you always hear me. And I know that you always hear me, but I'm going to say this so they know that I know that you always hear me. He knew that God was with him. Casting your cares also brings God near. You find him present with you. You find his shoulder underneath the weight. And the last thing about this new way to carry life, we carry life in weakness, we carry life by casting, because the burdens are going to keep coming. And the very last thing is we learn to carry them even in rest. Even in rest. And if you're like, this stuff doesn't make sense. Well, it's because it's supernatural. Because God can do what we can't do. Learning rest. Um, 
Everything feels heavier if you're carrying it with sin. Right? I mean, think about this. Someone asks you to help them. And maybe you start off good. You know, you're starting off and, you know, they're, they're, they're a needy person and, you know, you're, oh, I'm going to do this and you're doing well and you're doing well. And all of a sudden it just goes too much for you and you're like, why can't you do things yourself? You know, there's the sin, right? Unconfessed sin then just, it becomes harder to do that stuff though. It always becomes harder to bear trials when you have unconfessed sin and guilt. There's no way that you'll be able to bear and carry with that. And so Jesus comes and he takes that guilt. And so you see like your, um, what would it be? Like one of the things that the grace of God teaches us and, and ought to be improving, your time ought to get better. Your reaction time ought to get better. So this is a sign of grace. How long does it take you to let down your burden? You mess up, you sin, you screw up for the hundredth time. How long does it take you? Do you do probation? Do you kind of get yourself ready where you can approach them and then over a couple weeks you release it? Or do you just, what's your reaction time? Because we'll be able to bear more trials. The other thing is uh, we get rest from trying to prove ourselves. The yoke that Jesus compares his yoke against is the religious leader's yoke, which later in the scriptures, he says, is a burden that breaks the backs of men. Their perfectionism. They're adding burdens onto people. And, and there's part of us that loves that. We love that to play that game. It feeds our self-righteousness. We love to get in there and go, you know, I'm going to master this thing by my discipline. It's going to make me feel superior to everybody else until I can't do it anymore. And then where do you go? You're a failure. I mean, Jesus, it's amazing. He's thanking God for failures, basically. Thank you that my people are failures. That they've given up. That trying to prove that to themselves, that burden of the law. And today it may not be the burden of religious Law, but for many people, it's a different burden people bear. It's the burden of self-determination. You know? The burden of that, my, that the modern people in life feel like they are responsible to be everything. Right? Like my, my very identity, the core of who I am, is up to me. My happiness is up to me. All the decisions in life is up to me. It's just another form of slavery. It's just another burden that we weren't meant to bear. And so I was reminded of this hymn that we've sung a lot of times, but I, I just want, I find myself going to it in my personal prayers because I feel many days just burdened. Listen, listen to these words. Um, place yourself. Place yourself in this lyric. Can you sing this and believe it? Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon Thee, and Thy beauty fills my soul. 
For by thy transforming power thou hast made me whole. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, vaster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness lavished all on me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Know what wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise and have made it mine. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. And then this last verse. Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for you. As I bear burdens. Resting neath the smile, Lord Jesus. Resting neath your smile. Earth's dark shadows flee. Brightness of my Father's glory. Sunshine of my Father's face. Keep me ever trusting, resting. Fill me with thy grace. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of your loving heart. That's how you carry life. That's how we carry burdens. That's what the gospel is inviting everybody to tonight. This is what made God thankful. Give thanks for the gospel of grace, my friends, because God does. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your thanks. Thank you for the things that delight you. Thank you for a gospel that even today, 2023, in this modern city, rings like... um, a song that no one has ever heard before. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to come to you and find you in our heavy ladenness, in our weariness. In Christ's name, amen.